All right, I officially not only wanted to wait for them walking in, but I also wanted to wait to say, not say good morning, family vacation, but good afternoon, family vacation. All right, now officially afternoon. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we are just so thankful for your son and for your spirit working in our lives. Lord, you are an amazing God. You saved us from our sins, Father. You take us in as your children. You love us. You care for us. And Lord, you created us to do great things for you, Father. In you and through you, connected to the branch. Lord, uh, Lord, help us to get out there, Father, and to share your love with so many others. To keep the end game in mind. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray. And we all say together, Amen. Amen. Let's go back in time two years. Let's go back to family vacation pre-pandemic. Let's go back to January of 2020. How many of you all were in Panama City with us? Okay, more than half the room. Yeah, Panama City. It was a beautiful weekend. It was sunny, no rain, thank goodness. Uh, you guys came down and saw a beautiful beach. It was 60 degrees out though. And when it came time, when it came just after the last class on Saturday, Around this time, and after that class ended, our guys from Florida, I was like, hey, y'all gotta go to head down to the beach. And they're like, man, we're just gonna go take a nap. Man, eh, I got other things to do. I think we're gonna go eat for three hours at lunch. It does not go to the beach at all. Most of our Floridians from Gators for Christ did not go to the beach. But what did I see the Missouri group doing? What did I see the ministries from from up here, from Tulsa, from Tennessee. Where were y'all? At the beach. You were so excited to finally be out there. And it was amazing to you guys. And we looked at y'all like a bunch of crazy people going, eh, it's all right. No, no big deal. We get to go to the beach all the time. Now fast forward in time two years to right now. Just after Dimitri's lesson, I don't know if you could hear my girls in the back, because they were doing it all through Dimitri's lesson. They were like, snow, snow, dad, snow, snow, snow. I'm like, shh, we were sitting in the back uh, behind Robert Reed Cox. And they were just like, snow, 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 we gotta get out of there. I'm like, calm down. Just from the very fact that snow was falling. Now that wasn't just my eight-year-old and my three-year-old. That was my entire campus ministry. As soon as it ended, all of them were outside like a bunch of crazy people on that balcony right before we walked down outside. And they were running around in it. They were videoing it like it was the craziest thing they had ever seen. Why? Because 90% of my campus ministry had never seen snow before. It was a big, big deal. And so at 1 o'clock after this class, we're going to meet in the lobby. And we're going to go outside and play in the snow. And take a group picture, at least with snow falling. I don't know if it's sticking, but we're hoping it sticks. That's a big deal to us. And you guys, y'all looking at us like, okay, <laughs> whatever, you know. So it's all perspective. It's all perception. And why do things lose their luster? Because they become no big deal to us. Because we've been there, done that. For us, it's the beach. For you guys, it's winter. It's the snow. It's all that. <laughs> So, how does this all relate to the end game? For me, 2020 was the worst year and on into 2021 possible 
my mom struggled with cancer for so long. So many of you have been praying for her. The doctors told her, and this is the only good part about it, you might get three to five years. My mom got six years before she passed away in July. Carrie Cox came down and... Uh, Thanks. It's bedtime with our family. We had a family reunion there. Uh, we had a family-only dinner. Uh, about 19 relatives from Vietnam, from my dad's Italian, so from Italy as well. Both sides of the family came together to celebrate my mom after the rather large funeral uh, that we had for my mom. And then the 20th person, the 20th member of my family was Carrie. <laughs> and he was there too with our family to celebrate my mom. That really put into perspective, that celebration of life helped put into perspective that we know when the rubber meets the road that heaven is real, that we have an eternal home waiting for us, that it's not just, well, it's off in the distance somewhere. My mom's there and she is waiting on us. Can't wait to hold my mom again in heaven. However that looks spiritually, I cannot wait. When it comes to perspective for the end game, I also think of one of our students in campus ministry, one of my first students to graduate from our campus ministry when we started Leaders of Christ back in 2001. So his name is Dupree Hatch. He graduated in 04, and he was always playing intramurals with us. He was always on campus sharing Jesus with others. He was extremely active in our campus ministry, even though he was pre-med. When he got to medical school, he was still playing intramurals with us and still very active. And he was at everything all the, all the time, all the game nights, all the cross chats, all the Wednesday night Bible studies. Dupree was everywhere all the time. We were like, are you passing med school? Like, how are you not closed up in your room somewhere studying with a stack of books? And Dupree had a photographic memory. And I was like, are you serious? He was the student we all hated. Because I could literally open up one of his textbooks that was on his uh, desk, open it up just for fun. I said, tell me what's on page 97. And he said, oh, that's that chapter, and here's a few things from that page. And like, you do have a photographic memory. We all hate you. <laughs> he was absolutely amazing. But as much as he did or didn't get out of undergrad and med school, what was amazing about Dupree and the thing he always says that made the biggest impact in his life was when he finally started doing residency. He did his undergrad in med school at Florida, then he did his residency at Vanderbilt Hospital, Vanderbilt University Hospital, a very prestigious place. And the first place he worked there for his first rotation was in the area where everybody was dying. It was the, for the terminally ill. A lot of people, not with just cancer, but with other diseases in which they only had maybe three to six months to live. And Dupree would work that ward for that first year of residency. And he said, Donnie, I'd look into the face of those patients. And what he saw was people that had no hope. They feared death. They absolutely feared death. And then he said he would talk to a handful of those patients, and they were always smiling. One of the older guys there, he loved coming by his room. 
because he was always joking around, knowing that he was staring death in the face, knowing he only had a couple months to live, and he had the best perspective ever in life. And he goes, Donnie, guess what? Those handful of people that were joyful in the face of death, guess whose team they were on? Guess who they represented? I was like, I bet they were Christians. He goes, yeah. And they knew they had a Christian doctor working with them. They were Christ followers. They had hope. They had joy. They knew what the end game had in store for them. And we know what the end game has in store for us. Amen, church? Amen. All right, go ahead. All right. Some of you guys may not know about me. I don't like science fiction. I absolutely don't care for it. I like history. I actually majored in public administration before getting into some Bible classes to go on uh, to get into ministry. But uh, I like history. I like real things. I like business. I just like, that's where I thrive. That's where I'm passionate about it. It's real and tangible and actual. But for whatever reason, I love Star Wars and I love Marvel Universe. Just love it. It's amazing. Even though it's not real life, for me, it's my little escape where my wife's like, I didn't think you liked science fiction. I'm like, whoa, 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 I got to catch up on Marvel Universe. I got to catch up on the newest Disney Plus movies now. And what was crazy about Endgame, to me, where I found the most humor is in the dysfunctional relationships of the heroes. In fact, there was a whole movie about those dysfunctional relationships in Civil War, where good was fighting good, right? And then in Endgame, you know, they were all having, they're still struggling with this, these dysfunctional relationships. And finally, they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I'm paraphrasing here. But they're like, there's, <laughs> we're fighting an ultimate bad guy for the lives of the universe here and for everybody also on planet Earth. Maybe we should come together and fight this war together. And that's exactly what they did when they finally understood what was really at stake. They set aside all that dysfunction in their personal relationships to focus on what was most important, which was working together and caring about each other intentionally so that they could go out and fight the bad guy. And so that's what it comes down to for us, our relationship. The basis of our endgame is our relationship with God. Exodus 33 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses asked. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. There's a lot of people we know by name. The people in this room, probably. The people in our campus ministry. The people in our churches. Some of the people in our community, at our colleges. There's famous people we may know by name. One of the most, I don't know that I'd be floored by meeting too many famous people. But if it was Michael Jordan, who I held in esteem growing up as a kid who's, by the way, way better than LeBron James could ever be. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> then I would be impressed. But guess what? Michael Jordan doesn't know my name. Michael Jordan doesn't care about Donnie Dillon, probably. But I think it would be the coolest thing 
to meet him because I know his name. But here's the really cool thing, whether we're talking about LeBron or whether we're talking about Jordan or whether we're talking about any other famous person, the most famous, not person, being that ever existed, the God, the creator of this universe, guess what? Knows each and every one of you by name. He knows Jacob by name. He knows you by name. He knows my name, Donnie. He knows Mariba. He knows David. He knows each and every one of you by name. And he doesn't just know you by name. He knows everything about you. For he made you. He created you to be his special child, to be his son, to be his daughter, to be his heir. That is the God of the universe that we know and that knows us by name. God loves each and every one of us intentionally and unconditionally. And how do we do the same back to God and for one another? 1 John 4, verses 8 through 10. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Here it is defined. Not that we love God, although that's what he wants us to do, but that first and foremost, he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for that relationship and for that personal relationship we need to continually work on to keep the end game in mind, to have the right perspective, to know that we aren't just having family vacation here and that we get to have this time with one another, this amazing, amazing time of bonding, as members of Christ's body, but that we also are intentional and realize there's an end game at stake for the lives of the, wo the ones that work here at Camden on the Lake, that there's so many non-saved people that are serving you breakfast, that we get to share words of encouragement with, not just like, bring me more coffee and not leave a tip. We get to share words of life intentionally to the people around us all the time. Are we doing that? Are we living with the end game in mind? Are we doing that on our campuses? Really caring about the people that sit to the right of us or to the left of us in chemistry class or in business class? Are we really intentional with the people at work and purposeful as God is in our lives? Are we pouring into them, giving them the opportunity to know that there's more to the end game? If Jesus were to come back tomorrow, what about their souls? Are we intentional and unconditional with those around us? Good, baby. So my role in the relationship is this. To believe, obviously. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of, we, of what we do not say, see. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek him. Are you feeling the reward in your life? Even with 20 and 2021 being the worst possible years in our family's life in so many different ways, I feel his reward because I still have joy and peace 
somehow through it all. But we know how because God is working actively in our lives. And then we get to act on that belief back to others. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Back in December, before we broke for Christmas, uh, some of our students noticed that there was a homeless population building in downtown Gainesville, near the University of Florida, where they go to school. And they're like, we got to do something for them because they don't have a lot of, that I'm not seeing a lot of winter wear, and uh, we all have probably an extra coat in our closet, even though we're Floridians. We might carry a second coat or whatever. So the students in our campus ministry gathered together a bunch of coats and asked the church body that, uh, where we attend to uh, get together coats, hats, anything that anybody had extra, we got, we got a ton of it. We got over 100 coats, hats, gloves, whatever. And so just last weekend, we went and passed those out. I don't know what a lot of other people were doing on Friday night in Gainesville, probably not the best things, but our students were out downtown passing out those coats and hats and everything. And what was funny is like, I, told, I was telling them, I was like, the last time we did this was actually two years ago, a group of students, and we have a lot of newer students that got this idea together. I was like, we actually did this before. And what was crazy is when we were giving out this stuff, and I said, be intentional, don't just give it out. Let's see how we can follow up with these folks. Let's pray for them. Let's pray with them. Let's ask them what's going on in their lives. Let's see what they're trying to see. If somebody's trying to get a job, let's see if we can maybe help get their name, their number, uh, or leave, and give them a card from our church and see how we might follow up with them if they'd like that follow-up. And so we were intentional in doing that. Uh, some of the gals went back and made some uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, we got that out to the folks in the moment, but also we got a lot of names. And the coolest thing, the most impressive thing throughout the whole night was one of the ladies that was there, and I didn't recognize her, but she goes, are you guys from the University Church? And I was like, do we know you? And she goes, yeah. I remember that y'all were here two years ago and you did this, and I got the only code I had, and somehow I lost that this past summer. Because I just kept it in the grocery cart that I pull around. And I was like, wow, that's impressive. And I go, did we follow up with you then? She goes, yeah, but I didn't follow up with you guys. But I'd like to do that now. Amen. Praise God when we keep the end game in mind. And let's be intentional and purposeful and not just making this a one-time act. It's not about contributing to the needs of others. Because we can all make a contribution. But it's all about sacrifice. The difference in breakfast this morning is the chicken made a contribution. All those eggs you devoured, chicken didn't give their life. But that sausage, different story. That's sacrifice by the pig, right? That's sacrifice. That's giving his life so you can devour the sausage. Big difference in our lives when we contribute. That's good. Don't get me wrong. God's pleased. And I feel like we're keeping the end game in mind when we contribute. We should contribute to the needs of others. But are we being a living sacrifice? Are we being sacrificial in our giving? Go back in time two years to that uh, coat story. So two years ago, I do remember this happening. My wife gave me 
because uh, again, Floridians don't have a whole lot. This is like the thickest thing I had, this little pullover. And so my wife's like, you need a real winter jacket, especially because we were talking about making a trip to North Carolina. I was like, all right, cool. And so she went and bought me that. And I was like, awesome. And we'd given out coats, hats, and everything that night two years ago. And I remember going, okay, I think we got everybody. And we ran out of our last coat. And I was walking back to the car, and I got a tap on the shoulder. I turned around, and it was a homeless gentleman about my size. And he goes, hey, do you have any more coats? I have nothing. He had a, he had a t-shirt with holes in it. And I was like, uh, no, we don't. I'm sorry, we don't have anything. Meanwhile, I'm wearing a jacket. I'm like, that my wife had just given me. And I, <laughs> I was like, well, I do have this. He goes, I would love that. And I go, well, does it fit you? I was more like, does it fit you? <laughs> and, uh, and, and I go, you know what? My wife can get me another one. And I had to like think about it in the moment and go, this is what's most important. So that was more, at least in my mind, in the moment, more sacrifice than contribution. But I think Jesus wants to take us a step further than even that, or that mindset. We need to get out there and make a difference in the lives of others because of what Jesus did, sacrificing his life that we all might live. And that's why he probably says in the Sermon on the Mount, go the extra mile, make that, make that sacrifice for others. Somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. Somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other one. Somebody wants your cloak, give them your tunic as well. Give to the nth degree because of everything I've poured into your life. Let's go on. So we're going to look at Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, go there this morning. Listen to the things the Good Shepherd does for his sheep and how we should esteem them in our life, keeping the end game in mind. All right, click it. Keep going. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Such a beautiful psalm. What I love about Psalm 23 is all about keeping the end game in mind in our lives. Because it did for David. Think about what David had gone through. David had committed murder. David had committed adultery. He has the furthest person in his mind, and probably rightfully so, uh, should be thinking like that because of all the things that he had done to distance himself from God and fall into a terrible life of sin. And then he was able to pull himself out of that. Why? Because God gives us that opportunity. And so for David, it was a huge thing for him to write this with that understanding that he was the furthest, he was so close to God, then had given it all up in all his selfish acts and evil things that he did. And now he's back in with God and he understands what God is doing in his life. And we should all understand what God's doing in our life. This picture, this is my mom standing with Nurse Marilyn. So this is the really cool thing about my mom. This is what made me so proud. When she was battling cancer, she would, knowing she had a two to three hour appointment with whoever the attending nurse was that was giving her chemo treatment, had a captive audience to share Jesus with. And so she would always bring her Bible, she would recite it, and then she would say, hey, do you understand what this means? While the nurse is having to stand there going, I don't, or I do. And what was really, really, really amazing was by the end of this uh, three-hour chemo treatment, I believe she told me, 
that Nurse Marilyn was able to recite it with her. And then she made the sign going, let's take a selfie together that you were able to recite this verse with me. And my mom poured into so many others and brought so many others to know Christ. It's just absolutely dumbfounding to me that sometimes we just sit back with all the time in the world and don't do it. All right, let's move on. David is talking about awareness of God's presence with him. What are some ways in which you are aware? I want you to just think about this. What are some ways in, you, in which you are aware of the Lord's constant presence with you restoring your soul? How is God constantly restoring your soul? Because I think if we understand this part of Psalm 23, we have a better understanding of what the end game is all about. How has God restored your soul? And how does he, when he brought you to him through Christ, and how does God continue to restore your soul? Let's move on. David said that the good shepherd makes me lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. This is a picture of my family. Now, don't hate me. This is in November in Florida at a water park. This is an adventure island in Tampa. It's still somehow 89 degrees out. So we're going to this water park on a Saturday in late November in Florida. And this is the most serene moment of the day. This is not a capitulation of how the day had gone because my girls were crazy and all over the place. But this is when they were worn out towards the end of the day. You know the cool of the day when you've sweated, you're outside, you've had a great time. And now I wanted to just rest. Uh, my wife wanted to rest, so I laid down, and my little girl, Addie, who's here with us at Family Vacation, she lays down with me, and she just instantly falls asleep right there. And then Mackenzie, my eight-year-old, comes over and gives her a big kiss, and my wife takes a picture of this, like the perfect moment. And she goes, you realize this doesn't really speak reality into how, oh my God. Girls usually are, and I go, yeah, I know, they're crazy, they're all over the place. My, my wife uh, always reads, she grew up reading, she's a very quiet-natured person. And I go, my girls are so much like you. And she goes, no, not even close. They're just like you, you nutcase. They're always running around, they're always crazy, they're always yelling. And so this was just a moment in time when all was at peace. Now here's the cool thing. Even in the chaos of your life, even in all the craziness for a mom, but even in all the craziness for us spiritually as Christ followers, I want you to think about how God gives you the peace of mind to get through, even in financial stress, even through a stressful school semester, even through the death of a loved one. How does God not only restore your soul, but how does he give you peace and be able to lie down spiritually and enjoy rest in him. Let's go on. Alright, listen for why we need not fear the evil around us. Click, click, click. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. How can we intentionally enjoy God's presence? I want you to think about that. That's a lot like the last question. 
What might the rod and staff represent as God acts in our life? What did a shepherd do with the rod? I'm asking. What did a shepherd do with the rod? Basically, he either had a staff, which is the hook on the end, or and a rod, or he had, you know, you, you basically saw off the end, which you did it, but you saw off the end of that staff, and then you have a rod. But sometimes it was all in one, sometimes it was two different things. What's the difference between a rod and a staff, Jacob? You'd use a rod to push the sheep away from where they're not supposed to go, right. or you'd use a staff to pull them in from where they're not Correct. You used a rod to uh, basically keep them from where they weren't supposed to go, like over the side of the cliff, because sheep are pretty stupid, and they just walk in packs, and they're like, oh, front one, one, I'll just go too. But they also used rods to ward off wolves, to ward off the enemy, to anything that might attack the sheep, the rod was used to ward off and to protect. And then the staff was able to, was used to guide, to direct, to pull back in. Being a shepherd back then, 2,000 years ago, was a full-time job. It was a tough job because you had to keep those hundred sheep or hundreds of sheep or thousands of sheep or work with other shepherds to keep that flock not just reeled in but guided in the right direction going towards life-giving water and going towards life-giving pasture, being able to eat the grass and all that. For us as Christians, think about what God protects you from with his staff, with his rod, and how he guides you with his staff. How does God reel you back in when we make stupid, dumb, sinful decisions? And how does God keep you going in the right direction? How has God protected you from the enemy that's all around us? And how has God continued to guide us so that we might make a difference, possibly, in the lives of others as we go through life? Surely, goodness and love, we continue to read in Psalm 23, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Click one more. What does it mean to you that God's goodness and love pursue you and that you pursue it? Believe it or not, in not just 20 years of campus ministry, I was a youth minister prior to that, but in 30 years of ministry, I've done over 130 weddings, mostly for Gators for Christ, and it's the coolest thing to see all these Christian couples that meet in campus ministry come together, find one another, join their lives so that one, those two lights shine even brighter as one. And I've seen so many beautiful weddings from the campus ministries up here in Missouri, from Tulsa, from all over the place. It's just so cool to see two Christians coming together to build a family and to bear fruit. <laughs> To, to have those kids that they can raise in the Lord. And that's one way to bear fruit, right? But we have so many different ways that we can do it to bear fruit and to go out there and make a difference in others' lives. God's goodness and love pursues you. That's so cool to think about. God's love is in constant pursuit of each and every one of us. And so the question for us is, how do we pursue back? How are you pursuing God back in keeping the end game in mind? Let's go on. All right, we're almost done. 
Well, it's summed up with these two passages. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, as much as we pick on each other, when it really comes right down to it, my brother and I, we pick on each other all the time. He's four years younger, but I always go up to people that haven't met him before and I go, hey, tell my brother he looks older than me, way older. And he's bald and I tell, I tell him to say all kinds of things about him. We can pick on each other, but if anybody messes with my brother for real, then I'm the first one to fight back because we stand up for one another. We truly love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And in 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. How much do you love God? When we talk about having the end game in mind, having that eternal perspective, seeing those souls around us as souls that Jesus died for, that everybody needs him, do we ever ask ourselves, how much are we truly, intentionally, purposefully loving God back? Four questions for you to write down. Do you love him more than what you own? I'm being serious here. Do you love him more than what you own? We're in college to do what? Why are you in college? Gain marketing skills. Uh, marketing skills, skills for what? A degree to get what? A job. That's right. You're out there to get a job, to land the best job possible. It's funny that 70% of all of our majors uh, actually are not used for whatever we are working in. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm not working in my major right now. Uh, it, it, that is the actual statistic that 70% of those degrees don't actually translate to a job in that field. Is that right? That is a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. Is a fact. So... So when we, whatever we end up with, though, we want to make money. We want to be able to provide for our families, to provide for little ones that we're raising. We want to be able to take care of our household. And, and that is great. That's where we should be focused in, taking care of our household and raising uh, a life in which we get to take care of ourselves and hopefully take care of others. But the devil can quickly twist it into and I like saving I, as a minister I have to save everything I need to save for my own retirement there is no retirement plan for me with the church it's like whatever I save that's what I got at the end will social security be there I don't know <laughs> so you know that, that it's good to have all those things in mind there's nothing wrong with that but we can quickly get caught up with a different ending that God intended by focusing on the things we own as being more valuable than the people we own it for or are trying to take care of. So it's so important to love God, love the creator, as I like to say, more than the creation. Also, do you love him and trust him with your life? Do you love him to trust him with your life? When it comes to the hard decisions in your life, are you truly trusting God or do you quickly go to yourself to try to solve the problem. Or maybe go to a friend, or even non-Christian counsel or advice in trying to figure it out. Or do you run to God first? Do you really give it over to God 
and trust him first and foremost. If I'm going to be honest with you, most of the time I do go to God, but there are times when I contemplate, when I'm all over a decision for days, where I'm like, God, I'm so stupid. Why didn't I come to you first? Why am I struggling with this when you ask me just to simply trust you, even when I don't understand what's going on? It's crazy because you can look back in your life five years. You can look back in your life 10 years. You can look back in time and go, wow, I didn't get this decision. I struggled with all of these things, but it's so cool how you took me through that, God, through that fire, through that situation, and really protected me. I should have trusted you more with that decision. I remember being single for so long. I didn't meet Julie till I was 34. I didn't get married till I was 36. Now, Julie's a little 11 years younger than me. Not a crater robber. Well, maybe I was. But <laughs> as far as our relationship, it was just a beautiful, normal thing in his timing. But 10 years earlier, I was engaged when I was 26. And that relationship didn't work out with that Christian woman I was dating. And almost married. And for several years after that, I was resentful towards God. I was like, God, why? Why did I need like should have worked out. I have no idea why this relationship didn't work. And I just didn't date for a while. And knowing what I know now, loving my amazing wife and having these amazing kids and seeing where she ended up and where she doesn't follow Christ anymore, God was absolutely 100% protecting me. And I didn't see it in the moment. And I didn't see it for years. And I'm like, thank you so much, God, that, and if I married her, honestly, I probably wouldn't have stayed in ministry. God protected me. God protected Julie. God protected our family. And you know what? You may not understand why you just broke up with somebody. You may not understand why your family clashed. You may not understand a lot of things, but trust God with it. Amen? All right, let's go. Do you love him when times are difficult? I do want to look at this scripture. 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. It's pretty cool. 1 Kings 17, 8 through 16. This will be the last scripture we look at. So if you'll turn there with me. All right. 1 Kings 17 and verse 18. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? This is Elijah the prophet she's talking to. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with? By causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from his room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. People will want to believe the truth when they see us 
not just saying those words, but living out a life that cares for them, that cares about them, that's intentional, that's purposeful, that's loving, that's unconditional. Uh, and then that helps people, and that helps ourselves get through difficult times. We may not be able to perform a miracle like Elijah and heal somebody's son, but when we cry out to God on behalf of not just our lives, but the lives of others around us in our campus ministry, our brothers and sisters, when we cry out on behalf of the lives of our neighbors, a guy across the street from me, uh, Paul, I didn't really know him that well, and he's lived across the street from me for, for a couple of years. Shame on me for not getting to know him. But I started to get to know him a little bit more. Then my mom passed, and I was gone to St. Petersburg for three weeks. I came back, and then I saw Paul, and he looked really sad, and he was mowing his lawn. I go, well, you should be sad. You let your lawn get kind of out of control. In Florida, the grass is like tall about every five days during the summer. We're like literally out there. If we're not out there once a week, our lawns are out of control. So he's mowing away, and, I was like, and he goes, no, that's, that's not it. And I go, well, what's going on? And he goes, my dad just died last week. And he had no idea that my mom had just passed three weeks earlier. So I told him about my mom, told me about his dad. We talked, we cried together. And I said, well, man, let me pray for you right now. And he goes, well, you need to take care of you. And, he goes, and he's not a Christian, so he didn't understand. I said, God's got this. You don't know, you're not able to see it right now, but let me pray with you. So we prayed and just dropped everything we were doing. We just sat there and talked for a while to the point where he wasn't even able to finish his lawn. And he was like, he was okay with that, actually. But the cool thing was I followed up with him, brought him to church with me. We got him into grief recovery. He's starting to study the Bible for the first time in his life. He's starting to understand that there's a God that cares about him. And that only happens when we care about people. Then we do what God intended us to do. Do you show others his love that he showed you? Last, because we love God in our end game, guess what we get to do? We get to talk with him, just as we did when we prayed earlier. You guys get to talk to God any time you want. No prayer in school, forget that mess. You get to pray in school any time you want. You can pray to yourselves. You can pray with others. You can talk to God, the God of the universe, any time. The God that knows you by name. And thank him for everything going on in your life. Even when you're not seeing it, thank him. When's the last time you really, truly sat down and thanked God for what you've got going on right now here? Getting to be a family vacation. When's the last time you truly thanked God for your family, for your sisters and brothers in Christ? Because when we really truly thank him, we get eternal perspective. We keep the end game in mind. Look out for members of his family. We get to do that for each other all the time. It's such a blessing to get to look out for members of our campus ministry, of our young adult ministries, of our youth ministries. Because those are very multiple minds and they're looking up to you. Even when you're not seeing it, your youth ministry is looking up to you guys. There's young people, there's older people, there's a ripple effect happening, and it all happens through your life. Are you telling others about him? Because that's what we get to do when we love God and the end game in mind. Are you trusting him? Are you reading his word and internalizing it daily? I mean, there's time. This, I love this you version of the Bible because I'm in there all the time on a different reading plan. And I'm friends with a lot of you. 
So sometimes you're inviting me to read with you, I'm inviting you to read with me. It's cool to have that. It's cool to get into the physical Bibles we have, that sometimes we have two or three of them, to be able to read his word and trust him. When you get a love letter from somebody, when my, my wife likes to hide notes around my clothes sometimes, and she hasn't done it in a while, but when she does that, and I'm just like, I pick up a shirt, a stack of shirts, and then I finally, I'm like, oh, there's a note. She's like, I love you. Have the best day in the world. God loves you. I'm just like, wow. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder. And we are quick to pick up something that compliments us, that encourages us, that we know that person loves us. Think about how much God loves you, and his love letter is sitting right in the palm of your hands. You get to read this and pick it up anytime you want. Do you love me back? Check yes, check no. no. Do you, God loves you so much, and he gave you his word to realize. We get to worship him, just as we did earlier with the praise team and last night. We get to sing songs about him anytime. We get to honor him, and when we have the end game in mind, we will make time for him, because that keeps things special, that keeps things focused, then we don't have that attitude of, ah, you know what, I don't really care about the beach or about the snow. I've seen, seen it, been there, done that. When it comes to our lives spiritually, are we like, eh, we get to worship again again this Sunday. Oh, another family vacation. We get to sit in the same room as Carrie likes to talk about, and we're not necessarily growing. Or are we living with the end in mind so much so that we can't help but tell others about him. Amen, church? Let's go get it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for this class time. Lord, we thank you for getting to live with the end game in mind. To be able to see people through your perspective, Father. To understand we have the most special thing in the world. We have your son. We have your powerful Holy Spirit living in our lives. It's promised to us. We know that we have it through baptism. And Lord, that we are fearless and should be fearless in getting out there and sharing your love with others in such a way where we don't just half care about them or we don't just make a simple contribution. But Lord, that we are a living sacrifice as you called for us to be in your word. That we're out there day and night living a life of sacrifice for our family, living a life of sacrifice for a Christian family, not getting into stupid arguments or things that don't matter, but quickly forgiving, not just seven times, Lord, but 70 times seven, forgiving so much that it hurts, forgiving so much because of everything you've forgiven us of, and then being able to show that to a world around us that's lost and dying, and a culture that's teaching the opposite endgame, and they really don't even have an ending to share with just saying, live it up now, because we have no idea what happens later. We know what happens later, Lord. We know we'll get to see my mom again. We will get to see so many family members, grandparents, maybe parents we've lost, siblings, other people. We know that we get to see others in heaven again one day. That's going to be the great, powerful, beautiful banquet up above for all of eternity. As much as I enjoyed that breakfast buffet this morning, Lord. We know that we get that spiritual, bountiful buffet up in heaven, that we have homes waiting for us in heaven, Father. Uh, Lord, you just describe things in your word with such vividness, streets of gold, other things, Lord. 
we know that you're just putting it into a way that we can just simply even try to grasp onto to how beautiful the end game is, Father, for us. Help us to know that this life is short, that eternity is forever, and help us to go out with that eternal perspective to share again with the lost and dying world around us. Lord, help us to be your people, to praise you, not only with our lips, but with our actions, with our deeds, with our faith, with our trust in you. It's your son's holy and precious name we pray, and we all say together. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.